I pray that the Lord would use it in their lives and in your life as you are sanctified parents. Their noises are uh, good, a sign of life uh, in our church. And so I'm thankful. I'm thankful for it. Um, I am one of the few pastors uh, that you will probably meet that has done more weddings than funerals. A lot of my friends who uh, have taken over uh, churches or, or been called to pastor at established existing congregations have a very different experience than I have had. Uh, I, I know brothers who uh, went into being a pastor at a church and within the first year did two, three dozen funerals uh, in a church just because the population of the church was a, a more el elderly membership and that's just what happens when you get old. Uh, and, and those were opportunities to rejoice that those believers were now standing before the Lord, but also opportunity to grieve. Uh, I, on the other hand, um, as a student pastor for a certain season and then a church planter, find myself pastoring uh, a younger membership. Um, doesn't mean that I was exempt from ever doing any funerals. Uh, sadly, I had to preside over a funeral of an 18-year-old in a car accident uh, while I was a student pastor. Uh, sadly, had to preside over uh, the funeral of uh, my wife's mother uh, um, dying uh, at, with early onset Alzheimer's. So I've had to do funerals. I've just done way more weddings. Um, but even with my little experience, there are certain expectations that you have uh, when you go to a funeral. And what happens in the text that Nicole just read for you was not expected. And you go uh, with a certain um, understanding about what's going to happen, um, uh, how the family is going to uh, mourn and grieve, how you're to respond in that. And, and when you go to, uh, let's say, a wedding first, when you go to a wedding, um, we ought to do what Paul tells us to do, to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. But no one at the wedding is rejoicing more than the bride and the groom. And you can, you know, do all you can, and maybe you truly are excited for them, and you want to rejoice with them, and you are rejoicing, but it just cannot compare to the bride and the groom. And in the same way, when you go to a funeral, we ought to, again, live out Paul's words and his command, mourn with those who mourn, grieve with those who grieve, weep with those who weep. And we ought to do that. And yet at the same time, uh, it, it will be hard for us to truly weep um, with, with those who weep in, in the same sense uh, that the family is that has lost the, the loved one. As a friend or an extended family member, we'll never know what it means to, um, to lose a spouse unless you've experienced that yourself. And then you can do that. Um, but we're going to see a picture of that. We're going to see a picture of people who have certain expectations about going to a funeral, and, and they know how they're to act. They know they're to weep. They know they're to mourn in that. But there is a different 
level of mourning and grief that Jesus shows us in this passage. And, and there were uh, certain expectations that the individuals had when they came to the tomb of Lazarus, but they were not the expectations that Jesus uh, had when he was going to the tomb. And so as we look at this passage, let's, let's remember that. Let's consider um, the certain expectations or the certain experiences even that you've had, uh, even at funerals that you've been to and the, the mourning and the grief that you've experienced or the mourning and the grief that you've tried to show on behalf of uh, the loss of a, a, another person's loved one. As we um, get into this story, we putting ourselves in a similar situation will help us to realize what's, what's going on. But this part two of John chapter 11 in the raising of Lazarus, uh, we, we stopped there in verse 27 as um, Martha made her glorious confession when Jesus, uh, having declared that he was the resurrection and the life, claiming that whoever believes in me, Jesus said, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And Jesus asked Martha in that moment, do you believe this? And in verse 27, Martha said to him, yes, Lord, I believe. And listen to this confession. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, who is coming into the world. That phrase that she ends there where we ended our time last time is reminiscent of Psalm 118, verse 26, something that's uh, repeated and said of Christ in, in all of the Gospels. Uh, in Psalm 118, uh, the psalmist there is, is writing what turns out to be a messianic psalm. A psalm where if I were to read through the entire thing, you would recognize certain verses if you've read through the New Testament or are familiar with the New Testament. Verses like verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. You're familiar with some of the verses in Psalm 118 because they speak of the coming Messiah. And so does verse 26 that seem to be on the lips of Martha uh, there in that moment. Blessed is he who comes in the what? Name of the Lord. Uh, we remember the people as Jesus entered uh, in, into Jerusalem saying, Hosanna to him, to he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, we, we recognize this phrase and and in Martha's confession is not only a, 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 a glorious confession of who Jesus was, uh, but it is an act of worship. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so she's worshiping there. You could read through Psalm 118 and see um, other aspects uh, that, that Christ himself uh, may have been even reciting uh, while he was even in the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, while he was potentially on the cross, um, facing the wrath of God, verse 14, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Verse 17, I shall not die, but I shall live. Uh, we can see messianic aspects of, uh, of Jesus coming out in Psalm 118, and it's, it's 
that verse 26 that Martha finishes her confession there. And last week, my summary statement for you there was that even death will be used for God's glory and our belief through the resurrection. And since this is part two uh, of this same story, I didn't want to stray too far from that, but I just wanted to add just a, a little caveat to that. That yes, even death, but especially life, will be used for God's glory and our belief through the resurrection. We've seen early on in this story the sisters calling out uh, for Jesus to come and to heal their brother, but he waited intentionally, um, trusting in the Lord's timing, not his. And, and, and then we saw the disciples fearing death uh, as they didn't want to go back towards Jerusalem where Jesus was about to be stoned earlier in chapter 10. And yet Jesus, being willing to, to face death, uh, was not fearful of death like the disciples were. And Martha uh, then laments over the death of her brother in 17 through 27 and yet Jesus offers hope in that He was the resurrection and the life. And here in verse 28, if you're taking notes, I want you to note that Mary wept over death. As Martha was described as lamenting over death, Mary here is described as weeping over death. Look at verse 28. Uh, when she, that is Martha, from the previous verses, had said this, that great confession, <clears throat> she went and called her sister Mary. Mary, we had been told, stayed back while Martha ran to meet Jesus as He was coming towards Bethany. So now Martha goes back to Mary saying in private, that's interesting that, that Martha went back to get Mary and, and pulls her aside. And you can imagine in the house, uh, Mary left there, but there are many people, we were told, had come even from Jerusalem out to Bethany and were grieving and mourning with Mary there in the house. And it's almost as if Martha goes and gets her sister and pulls her aside and, and tells her this privately, secretly. The teacher is here and is calling for you. Again, it was these sisters who sent messengers to call for Jesus to come to, to their house at first. And, and now here we see that the tables have turned and Jesus is now calling Mary to come out. And Martha does so secretly uh, in an attempt for Mary, her sister, to have a moment like she had with Jesus, just themselves. Um, Jesus wanting a moment to console and to comfort Mary uh, in that. And, and, and what, a, what a sweet picture th that Christ is, is wanting to show this love and compassion both to Martha as Martha ran out to meet Him, but also to Mary in, in an attempt to bring her outside uh, the village. Um, know this, Christian, that Jesus is uh, our comforter. He sent us His very Spirit who is called the comforter in the New Testament. He, he said it would be better for Him to go 
um, so that when he went, he could send his very spirit to be with us, to comfort us uh, in whatever affliction that we face. Jesus couldn't be, uh, well, in one sense, Jesus is everywhere and he can be everywhere. But in his manhood, he could only be in one place. And so it was better for him, having taken on flesh to go and to send his spirit to be with us. Christian, the spirit of Christ is present with you and wants those quiet moments with you to comfort you in whatever trial and experience you face. Don't forget that. Don't simply wish that you could have a secret moment with Jesus like Martha did and Mary was attempting to get. You, you have the very Spirit of Christ with you. What a gift that the Lord has given to us. Unfortunately, though, having said that in private, um, Mary, in verse 29, when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. In verse 30, goes on and says, Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And so, though Martha came to Mary secretly and privately, Mary got up in a rush and ran for it and went for it. And everyone that was in the house saw it and, and stood up. And, and as a good family, extended family member, as a good friend, and even as Jewish culture would, would teach us as a, uh, a, an expected mourner, uh, even paid mourner um, that they would have in that culture. People who would come and it was their job to mourn alongside the family. Um, they get up seeing her leave and say, we've got to go with her. We've got to go. She's going to the tomb. She's, going to, she's been weeping in the house. She's going to the tomb to weep. We need to go with her. We need to be there for her. And so they get up and they rush out and they follow her where she's going. But in verse 32, John notes that now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Sound familiar? If you were here last week, same, almost the same statement, at least the first half of the same statement that her sister Martha uh, had given, probably had been uh, a part of their conversations as sisters. What, where is Jesus? If Jesus would have been here, he could do something about this situation. And so when the sisters are split up, they have the same thing on their mind, the same thing on their lips. But unlike, <coughs> unlike their, her sister uh, Martha, when Martha um, said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know, uh, you can go back and see, but I know that whatever you ask, the Lord will give you, your Father will give you uh, in, that, in that time. Mary, um, Mary doesn't have it in her. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she fell down weeping. Fell down at, his, at uh, Jesus' feet weeping. Mary was weeping over the death of Lazarus. And the, the future hope, yes, that Lazarus would rise from the dead 
spend eternity with God forever in heaven, but the, without any earthly hope of Lazarus um, being able to enjoy a meal with Lazarus anymore, being able to uh, travel with Lazarus, being able to converse with Lazarus anymore. She's without that hope. She's weeping as any of us would weep when we lose a, a close loved one like that. And, and yet for her and for all of those uh, around her, um, it led her to fall down in grief and, and weep. And the word for weeping that's used multiple times here, yet not of Jesus, both of Mary, but also the people around her. Um, verse 33 describes this, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. This weeping that is used to describe Mary and these mourners, these Jews who had gone out with her to weep as well, is described like a, as a loud wailing, a loud grieving, out loud, bawling. If you, this is not a, need a little Kleenex to dabble the eye and wipe the sniffle away. This is an extreme grief and sadness. Um, an eternal hope, yes, but a lack of uh, earthly hope and, and an earthly sadness that they're experiencing. And I note that because when, when my next point, the next point that we see in the text of describing Jesus, Jesus, I'm noting, wept, being moved and troubled, the weeping that Jesus um, experienced was different than that. It's, it's not a word ever used anywhere else in the New Testament. It's not that loud wailing and weep. It's a different weeping uh, that, that Jesus uh, experienced in that moment. <clears throat> Verse 33 gets at it. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Those two words and phrases get at the reason why uh, when he had asked where they had laid Lazarus and they told him, Lord, come and see. This is why Jesus wept and why John notes it emphatically with a different word uh, there. Jesus' weeping was very different than Mary and Martha's and those. He was deeply moved and moved to the point of, of tears. Even though in other situations very much like this, Luke chapter 7 describes them, where a mother had lost a son and they were in the midst of the funeral procession and Jesus said, don't weep. And he raised the boy right there in that moment. Here in this moment, Mary and Martha and many others are weeping, and he doesn't tell them to stop weeping. Uh, he actually weeps with them because there's something more going on here. And notice the, no, notice the difference of a, approach. Whereas Jesus conversed with Martha earlier in the day, at her response, Jesus enters into the grief with Mary and yet has a, a bigger picture and something else is moving him towards these tears. The Greek word for deeply moved there also carries the idea of being even indignant or angry. 
Jesus, in this moment, is not just sad that he's lost a dear, loved friend. He's angry at sin and death and what it's doing to uh, people, what it's doing to humanity, what it's doing to people whom he loves, um, like uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha. He's angry at, at sin in the world. It, it's actually used to describe a horse snorting under the weight of what it's carrying, uh, just like a, a guttural kind of uh, response to this, that Jesus is just so frustrated that he can't hold it in in this moment. He's moved, deeply moved, and, and then greatly troubled. <clears throat> and if we just fast forward, even in the Gospel of John, to see what, what that phrase is used to describe later on, the, the phrase greatly troubled is found in John 12, 27, describing his soul at his hour. And it's used in 13.21 when looking at Judas before his betrayal. Judas is, uh, uh, Jesus is greatly troubled when he looks uh, at the situation at hand in this. And it's because of that that he is moved. He's troubled. He's, he's now weeping himself. And as a kid, you know, that verse... Uh, became well known to us to be able to quote verses and get badges and points at Sunday school and things like that. But when you really sit in this text, you realize how important that, that those two words really are, that Jesus wept. But we ask ourselves, why? Why, why was Jesus weeping? Did he... I mean, I don't know about you, but I want to ask questions while you're in the midst of the time. Jesus knew. He knew what he was about to do. So why is he weeping at this point? Why didn't he say to Mary and Martha, like he said to the mother who lost the son, don't weep? Why is he weeping? He knows what he's about to do. He, he could have offered them encouragement or hope, but no, Jesus, in this moment, Though being God and having uh, a divine sense about Him, He is also man and He's revealing His humanity in this. This is a beautiful point in, in the Gospels where Jesus is allowing His humanity to, to show greatly in this. Both His divinity and His humanity. His deeply moved and greatly troubled in a divine sense, but his humanity in a weeping sense. And Jesus enters into the grief of Mary and Martha and all of those present, and he weeps himself. We can ask this same kind of question when we fast forward into the gospel to see Jesus even on the cross, having been nailed to the cross and having hung there for hours at one point, looking to the heavens and saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why would Jesus say something like that in that moment? Didn't he know that Jesus, like Jesus knew now he would raise Lazarus from the dead? Did Jesus, didn't Jesus know that just in three days, as we sung earlier, he would rise again? 
What's, what's so bad about it in that moment to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, Jesus' humanity was experiencing the sin of the, the world on his shoulders. And he couldn't help but quote what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus' divinity and his humanity um, don't trump one another. It's, it's this beautiful picture of this union between Jesus being truly God and truly man. And here he shows aspects of both. And it's, it ought to be encouraging to us that in this moment, Jesus weeping is showing what the writer of Hebrews encourages us and reminds us that Jesus is our sympathetic high priest. And so whatever you may be facing, Christian, whatever circumstances, whatever um, hardships, whatever obstacles, whatever feelings you may be feeling, Jesus is sympathetic to those. He's better than anyone else in this, ever, in this room ever could be for you to sympathize and empathize with you because he knows um, what, what humanity has felt in every circumstance. He does. He's the sympathetic high priest. He understands. He's able to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice more than anyone else could. And so while you ought to find comfort and help and encouragement in hard times and find uh, other brothers and sisters who will rejoice with you and laugh with you um, and celebrate with you in other times, we ought to go to Christ first uh, to find He who both in His divinity and humanity can come alongside you and encourage you with an eternal hope and, and, and an earthly comfort in those moments. Uh, go to Him first and then come to those whom He has given you, the church, to, to find added comfort uh, and added joy in whatever moment you may be facing. Jesus did just that. Uh, and, and the response is this in verse 36. The Jews said, see how He loved Him. Jesus was described earlier as one who loved both with a brotherly uh, and a divine love, uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And these Jews are seeing Jesus weep. Though they can't see His uh, divinity being deeply moved and grieved for because of sin and because of death, they can see him weeping and, and simply think that he's weeping like all of they, uh, like they are. Maybe more than the, the expected paid mourners that were alongside him saying, see, he's one who really loved him. He's weeping differently than all of us. He loved him more than we all did. And Jesus here is, is showing us that he doesn't have to, um, but he weeps, uh, being deeply moved and greatly troubled in a divine sense, but also a human sense. But then there were some who look at that, and, and their response was, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? That's, that's one way you could look at it, but the better question would have been, because of course he could have. 
The better question would have been, why didn't he keep Lazarus from dying since he opened the eyes of the blind man? If Jesus was able to open the eyes of the blind man, why didn't he do something about that? There must have been something more to this because surely he could have. Um, like the, the, the man who was looking for his son to be healed, um, saying back to Jesus, I know that you can. I pray that you will. Uh, why didn't Jesus choose to come early? Why did he wait back several days? Why is he just now showing up? Couldn't he have done something about it? Absolutely. But why didn't he? And it's, it, it's that question that really gets at what Jesus is going to put on display. He didn't because having done that, uh, would not have given the, great, uh, the greatest amount of glory to his father. But in waiting, in waiting back until Lazarus had died and been dead for four days, God would receive more honor and more glory than had he shown up early and simply healed Lazarus. So as we continue then from looking at Mary's response, verse 38, note Martha withdrawing from death. Martha's now withdrawing, withdrawing from death. Jesus, it says, deeply moved again. And so, not only did this um, being deeply moved lead him to tears, but this being deeply moved uh, made him come again to the tomb. And John describes it. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And we can picture similarly the tomb of Christ that we all envision with that round uh, stone that had been rolled away, as it said, of Jesus. You can imagine that, a cave with a stone which was reminiscent of most of the tombs of that day and age. And Jesus, uh, having come again to the tomb, he speaks and even commands, take away the stone, speaking to those uh, around him. And again, I mean, Jesus could have in one great display moved the stone uh, away. And yet in this moment, he, he allows humanity to do for uh, him what they can. And he has them move away and participate in a part of this. Imagine those Individuals who are rolling that stone away, wondering what they're going to expect. I know what they're thinking they're going to expect because Martha tells us. After Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he's been dead four days. Without the expensive embalming um, that we have nowadays, they would have covered this up with spices and perfumes as, as some of you may remember as described in Jesus' burial as the, the women were to go to the tomb because there weren't, wasn't time on the Friday of Jesus' crucifixion and burial to, to be able to anoint Him. And, uh, and so they were coming back on that Sunday morning to do it again. And in the same way, Martha notes Lord, by this time there will be an odor. He's been dead four days. Jesus, don't. Um, Martha, Martha is withdrawing from death, expecting this is the end, not wanting anything to do with it. Let's just grieve together. Let's go back home. Let's have a meal. Don't 
you can grieve in a different way. Don't open the tomb. You don't need to see him. You don't need, you don't need to do that. And while she's drawing away, it's, it, it's Jesus who's drawing nearer. Being moved in him, he's uh, getting closer and closer. Remember, he was um, day's journey away. Then he came and he was outside the village. And now he's come a little bit closer. And now he's gone all the way to the tomb. John is showing Jesus moving closer and closer to death to bring about a different expectation and a different result at this funeral than anyone else had. And so, in response to Martha's words there, Jesus has a different uh, response. Jesus came to reveal the glory of God. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? If you believed, would you not see the glory of God? Now let me just note what Jesus is not saying here, that if you believe and have enough faith, Martha and Mary, then you'll see a miracle done for you. And I'll raise your brother to life. If you have enough faith, if you can just get it together, wipe your tears, stop your crying, and just have enough faith in me, I'll do this miracle for you. But if you don't, you're, you're going to be without. That is not what Jesus is saying in this point. Jesus was on a mission, and you can see it from the beginning of this entire story. Jesus was on a mission, and this was going to happen whether Mary, Martha, or anybody else believed it or not. What Jesus is saying here is that if you believe, not only are you going to see a miracle, but you're going to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For it was the, the, the writer of the Gospel of John in his prologue that wrote in John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His, what's the word? Glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Moses longed to see the glory of God in Exodus. You remember the story when Moses had been up on the mountain, had received the Ten Commandments. He came down, and what were the Israelites doing? Worshiping that golden calf. And he threw down the Ten Commandments, broke them, rebuked them, prayed to the Lord, interceded on their behalf, went back up the mountain to make more tablets and stood before God. And, and, and God said, you go into the promised land. I'm not going with you. And he said, I don't want to go unless you're going with me. And God said, I'll go with you. And Moses boldly asked, Lord, show me your glory. And he said, you can't handle it. You can't handle it. I'll put you in the rock and when I go by, I'm going to shield you from being able to see my glory. But when I've passed by, I'll remove my hand and I'll let you see my back. Moses longed to see the glory of God. And here Jesus is, the Son of God, standing face to face with Mary and Martha and everyone present and saying, if you would just believe that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, you will see the glory of God in the face of the one who is standing before you. And he challenges her, don't forget who you said that I was. 
Believe me, and not only will you see a miracle, because you're going to see a miracle whether you like it or not, but if you believe, you're going to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And upon that, um, uh, they t- in verse 41, they took away the stone. And you can note this. I want to just note several more things regarding Jesus. Uh, note here that Jesus prayed so that they might believe. Jesus prayed so that they might believe. He came to reveal the glory of God, and now He is, he is praying so that they might believe. Uh, so they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up His eyes and said, Father, I thank You that You have heard Me. Jesus has already been um, c- communicating and, and um praying with the Father in fellowship with Him. And He praises God for hearing Him. He even goes on and says, I knew that you always hear me. Christian, let us learn from Jesus' prayer to the, the Father in this place. First and foremost, Jesus calls God His Father. And the New Testament goes on to say that all who believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, have been adopted into God's family and have the privilege uh, of being sons and daughters of God. We have the privilege of calling God our Father. J.I. Packer says in, in Knowing God that adoption is the highest privilege of salvation. It's the highest privilege. So to be able to call God your Father is such a blessing. And we ought to do so. Christian, you ought to address your prayers to God as your Father in that special relationship that only sons and daughters have with Him. But not only that, Jesus uh, acknowledges that the Father hears Him. And He says, "I, I know that you always hear me. Christian, this is true of your prayers. This is true of you when you call out to God. And I imagine Mary and Martha at certain points where um, their brother was sick and they were praying. uh, They sent for Jesus, praying that Jesus would come fast enough, but their brother dies, wondering where Jesus was, thinking, God, did you even hear me? Did you even hear my prayers? Did you not hear what I was asking for? What about all that ask and you shall receive stuff? And yet, we're reminded by Jesus and by others that we're, we're to pray boldly and to ask great things of the Lord, but to submit our will to His will, um, knowing that no matter what, the Lord hears. The Lord hears you in your grief. The Lord hears you in your mourning. The Lord hears you in your prayers. He's not deaf to you. Uh, you don't have to shout uh, like the prophets encouraged the false um, prophets to do, to shout even louder, and then maybe they could hear you. You don't have to shout at God. He hears you. Jesus passed on this truth to us just in His prayer, saying, Father, I'm thankful that you hear us. I know that you always 
hear us. Uh, that you hear me, Jesus says. And through Christ, the Father hears us as well. But look, he, thirdly, I want you to know regarding his prayer, not only does he call him Father, not only does he know that he hears you, but he says, I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Prayer is special in that in the midst of prayer, we don't change God's mind. Our mind changes uh, to have what's on God's mind on our mind. And so we're the one that is really changed in prayer. But, but Christian, if you have the privilege and the opportunity to pray publicly, uh, as some of you already have this morning, whether it be for the sermon um, or maybe to pray for your group in the midst of the, the week, praying for certain requests, um, there are other people around you listening and when you pray boldly and ask of the Lord and then submit that to Him, saying, not your will, uh, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. As the Lord chooses in His own time and his own, in His own way to answer those certain requests or to change the mind of the asker uh, to be like the giver, um, those people who have heard those prayers are seeing them answered um, they're seeing you changed and transformed in the midst. Parents, as you pray for certain things in the midst of your family and the Lord answers your prayer in His timing and in His way, your kids are going to see that. And you need to give thanks and praise to God, your Father, for answering those prayers. And they're going to see that the God whom you trust in is worthy to bring your request to, worthy to trust, worthy to ask of Him in those moments. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's already, as he mentioned, gone to the Father privately and asked for this and has received it. In fact, John chapter 5 got at the fact that um, Jesus only does what the Father tells him to do and that the Father has given him life and that Jesus can give life in the midst of death. And so Jesus has already asked from this. He's already received it from the Father, but he asked publicly for it. Why? So that those who are standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus, I'm asking for this boldly in front of all of these people so that when you raise Lazarus from the dead back to life, they'll finally see who you are, realize who I am. And if they don't believe my words, as he said in, in, in John 10, maybe they'll believe my works that I'm doing the works of the Father in that. Man, Christian, parent, that takes faith, does it not? To ask big things of the Lord, but to do so, to set up on display an opportunity for the Lord to provide or for you to be changed. We ought to pray these things with brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, on Sundays, in the midst of the week, throughout the week, we ought to be praying some great truths that we can learn from Jesus' prayer, His prayer, so that they might believe. But then lastly, Jesus spoke to show His power over death. When He had said these things in verse 43, He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And I think one of the funniest things that I read this week was a, a, a Puritan uh, commentator said 
that Jesus had been given such power by the Father at this moment that if he didn't say Lazarus, every tomb would have emptied in that moment. And so he was very specific in this moment and said, Lazarus, come out. And, and like a picture of our salvation, for we who are dead in our sins and trespasses, when the Lord Jesus calls us to come to life, we can do nothing else but come to life. For those who draw near, draw near because the Father has drawn near to them, according to John 6. And so the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the, the seventh and final earthly sign that John records as he tells us in John chapter 20, these I have written to you so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and have life in his name. This is the, the final, it's the climatic sign of Jesus proving his divinity, him being the Christ, him being the Son of God. This is his greatest earthly act um, regarding his, his, his miracles, but this one is just, um, just a glimpse of what we're about to see him do in his own death and his own resurrection. Lazarus comes to, to life here for all of those to see. Again, imagine Mary and Martha's grief dispersed in, in that moment and seeing their brother um, standing before them. All of those who had traveled in for the funeral, expecting one thing and having those expectations blown away at this, at this moment. Those guys who rolled the, the stone away, backing up uh, a little bit more, uh, uh, just cannot believe what they're, they're seeing in that moment. And yet on display is Jesus' power over death, calling Lazarus to life and Lazarus stumbling out, being bound with, with linen strips. It causes us to, to consider even Jesus' Um, death and his resurrection. And we can fast forward even just a, a little bit more into the story. John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verse 40. And, and not too long in the chronology and the narrative that John gives us, Jesus himself is uh, going to enter into Jerusalem. He'll eventually be um, betrayed by Judas. Uh, he will be arrested. He'll be denied by Peter. He'll be wrongly convicted and crucified on the cross. Uh, he will uh, be taken down from the cross uh, and will be buried uh, by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, whom we met earlier in John chapter 3. And in John chapter 19, verse 40, just note this part of the narrative. They took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, uh, as is the burial custom of the Jews. And now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden 
and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had been laid. And so because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. And now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw the, the tomb had been, uh, the stone had been taken away from the tomb. No one there, like in Lazarus' situation, to roll it away. Jesus could have rolled away the, the, the stone of Lazarus, but, but not there, but yes, here. The stone is rolled away. And so she ran, and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, that is John, I believe, and the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb, and both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw not Jesus, Bound in linen cloths like Lazarus, no, the linen cloths lying there. But he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw again the linen cloths lying there. And the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head was not lying, uh, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. And he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. And you see, the, the picture of Lazarus is, is just a, a temporary earthly uh, picture and glimpse of what was going to happen for Jesus at his death, burial, and his resurrection. For Lazarus, Lazarus, rose that day. They had to roll the stone away. They had to unbind him and the cloths that were, were on him. And, and many looked, it says, actually, back in John chapter 11. Many looked at that situation uh, and they believed, it says. There in verse 45, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But Lazarus is going to live for a, a short time longer and is going to die again. He'll be buried again. There has to be more than just life here on this earth that we hope for and long for. And Jesus was saying, this is just a glimpse of what is available to those of you who believe. Whether you live again on this earth or not, you can have eternal life with me forever. And can experience maybe not what Lazarus experienced on that day. When you go to a funeral, your expectations are expected for a reason. None of us have been to a funeral and someone got out of the coffin. N none of us expect that to happen and that's right and reasonable. But we have a hope of an eternal life that is offered to us. One that will be more reminiscent of Jesus's being raised uh, with a glorified, resurrected body that was full of strength, uh, able to unbind himself in that moment, um, a new resurrection body, not an old body that's going to get sick and die again. This is what's available. This is what's available to those who believed that day, but sadly, 
as often happens in the midst of Jesus revealing who he was both in words and works. Some believe, but verse 46 says, but there were some of them who went to the Pharisees and I want to say tattled and told them what Jesus had done. They saw it. You could not deny it. But they didn't in that moment believe that Jesus was the Christ. They didn't in that moment look in the face of Jesus and see the glory of God. For selfish reasons, for whatever reasons, they went and tattled. They went and told the Pharisees. And it's from this point on that Jesus will not do any more uh, miracles like that publicly. He's revealed himself with his greatest sign. And it leaves it to us. Do we believe? Do we believe like Mary and Martha that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Will we bless um, him and his name, the one who comes in the name of the Lord? And if we do, whatever you or others might expect at your funeral, I promise you on the day when Christ returns and you're resurrected, it'll be better than you could ever expect. You could not draw it up any better than it will actually be on that day when Christ um, unites your soul with a resurrected, glorified body to spend eternity in heaven with the Lord and with Jesus Christ. If you long for that day, in the midst of whatever this earthly life is throwing at you, repent, believe. As these works of Christ have proven that he really is who he says he is, the Son of God, believe in him. Trust him. Be forgiven of your sins so that you don't have to spend eternity separated from God in hell, but can spend eternity with God forever in heaven. Trust him today. Let's pray. Father, uh, I come to you like Jesus, thankful that you hear us. Thankful that You've heard my prayers in private this week, and now you hear my prayers in public before this group of people. And Lord, I pray that you would bring great encouragement to your church, to your sheep this morning who um, fear death, who have seen loved ones lost, who grieve though not like the world, um, grieve differently because of their hope in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would give your children hope and encouragement. This very moment, by your Spirit, your gift, your comforter to us. I pray, Father, that if there are some who have who are of a different earthly fold and are not your sheep now, Lord, that you would even in this moment call them to life. That you would tell them to come out of the the tomb that they've resided in because of their sins and be made alive, to repent, to believe, and to follow you all the days of their life. Lord, that the miracle of salvation would happen amongst us. Maybe for an adult uh, who has joined with us this morning to hear these truths, or maybe for a child 
who, being dead in their sins and trespasses, would be made alive in Christ this morning. Lord, I can't do it. Only you can. And so I pray, asking you to do that. Knowing that you can. Praying that you will. In your time and in your ways. Lord, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for your example of both divinity and humanity on display in this passage. Thank you for giving us a glimpse of uh, your power over death and Lazarus, but an even greater picture of that in your own resurrection, one that we uh, can look to and hope for when we face our last days, that other people can hope when we have passed from this earth. So we thank you and we praise you. We thank you for the church that in addition to the comfort that you offer us in your spirit and in your word, you have given us that can rejoice with us when we rejoice, but can also uh, mourn with us when we mourn and weep with us when we weep. Lord, so many blessings and gifts that you've given to us that we're made aware of this morning, and we praise you and thank you for it. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's praise him. as only